Well, friends, uh, if you've been with us in uh, recent weeks, you know that we are partway through a series of talks uh, entitled Wisdom for Life. And in these talks, we're picking up on certain key themes from the book of Proverbs in the Old Testament uh, and applying these lessons to our life. And if you were here right back in week one, you'll know that we defined wisdom. It's a tricky thing to define. Uh, but we but use the definition uh, by uh, one sort of Old Testament scholar who defined wisdom as the following: becoming competent with regard to the complexities of life, how things really happen, how things really are, and knowing what to do about it. So becoming competent with regards to the complexities of life. And wisdom is needed because life is complex. Wisdom is needed to navigate the sort of myriad, the the multitude of decisions that we face each and every day where there is no clear right or wrong answer. We need wisdom to flourish in life. And, uh, you know, if you're anything like me, and I'm sure a few of you are, you know, we would love uh, a sort of, you know, if we, if we could turn to the book of Proverbs and we could find like a technique or a method that we can just follow the steps A, B, C, D, and there's my wise decision at the end of it. We would love life to work that way, that we can just sort of follow the steps and God will tell us whether we need to move house or not. You know, wouldn't that be great? You know, but actually, Proverbs doesn't give us methods. Instead, it shows us the kind of people that we, we are to become if we want to be the kind of people that make wise decisions. It's from our character that our decisions are made. And today, we're looking at humility. We're considering the importance of having humble hearts. And to do this, we're going to be looking at what Proverbs has to say on the antithesis, the complete opposite of humility, and that is pride. Pride. Our passage for today is taken from Proverbs chapter 16, which is on page 650. If you want to turn to it, page 650, it's not going to appear on the screen above us. Um, So do turn with me. It's just three verses from Proverbs chapter 16. And we're going to begin in verse 5 and then move to 18 and 19. And again, there's lots that's spoken of about pride in Proverbs, lots. But actually, we're just going to focus on three verses. Verse 5, the Lord detests all the proud of heart. Be sure of this, they will not go unpunished. Verse 18, pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. Better to be lowly in spirit and among the oppressed than to share plunder with the proud. Well, there's our verses for today. Now, my wife uh, is a huge fan of the Jane Austen novel, Pride and Prejudice. Uh, And I don't think she would forgive me if I gave a sort of message on the subject of pride and didn't include at least one quote from the book. So here is that quote. It's uh, Mr. Darcy speaking, and he says this. He says this. As a child, I was taught what was right. I was given good principles, but left to follow them in pride and conceit. 
And I think this highlights our attitude to pride. Because when we think of virtues and vices, when we, when, we, uh, when we gravitate towards the important things that are right or wrong, what is good or bad, we think of things such as, you know, you mustn't steal, you mustn't lie, you know, you, you mustn't be violent. You know, all these things are wrong. And the things that are good is, you know, the things that we want to instill in our children. For instance, a, a generosity and patience and, and self-control. And if we have children or grandchildren or children in our lives, uh, then we're keen to impress upon upon them, these rights and these good principles to live by, but we often fail to, in, to address the sin of pride or conceit. Conceit just means like overwhelming pride, really. Reminds us, doesn't it, is what Mr. Darcy said, as a child, I was taught what was right. I was given good principles, but left to follow them in pride and conceit, because we can all be guilty of basically not taking pride that seriously. But the Bible actually takes pride immensely seriously. I think there's a really good case to be made, although I won't make it today, that the essence of sin itself is pride. The Bible talks about pride a great deal and in the strongest possible terms. As example, you know, verse 5, the Lord detests all the proud of heart. Be sure of this, they will not go unpunished. And we find this sort of speaking out against pride throughout the whole Bible. For instance, in the Old Testament, it is condemned time and time again. So take the, the major prophets, uh, for example, Isaiah and Ezekiel and Jeremiah. Uh, in these books, um, there's these huge long sections that it's easy to skip over, and they're called the oracles against the surrounding nations. And in these sections, the prophets speak out against the sort of immorality and the idolatry and all the stuff that's bad, all the social injustice that are happening in, in all these surrounding nations. But there is one thing that God denounces most frequently, time and time again. Not their idolatry, not their immorality, you know, not any other things that they do. He denounces their pride. And there's too many verses. Just type into a concordance, pride. And have a look how often it's mentioned in these, in these major prophets. Uh, Isaiah 10, it says this, I will punish the king of Assyria, so one of the nations, for the willful pride of his heart and the haughty look in his eyes. And Jeremiah verse 48, verse, uh, chapter 48, verse 29, we have heard of Moab's pride. How great is her arrogance of her insolence, her pride, her conceit, and the haughtiness of her heart. And in the New Testament, this, uh, this, this pride is spoken of, again, with severity and stark warnings. For instance, Jesus spoken on it a, a, a number of times in the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. You know, you've got the Pharisee who stands up and he's, he, his head is high and he's standing proud. And then you've got this tax collector whose head is low and he beats his breast and he says, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus concludes with these words, speaking of that tax collector, he says like this, I tell you this, that this man, this tax collector, rather than the other, went home justified before 
God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And yet all those who humble themselves will be exalted. You see, God takes pride very seriously, and so should we. But in reality, our cultural climate says pride is something we should celebrate. We should be proud, but the Bible and God says the issue with pride is that it's so deep-rooted, it is immensely difficult to detect in ourselves. You know, it's like bad breath. You know, everyone else might be able to see it, but we don't recognize it. You know, pride is really difficult to detect in ourselves. Mr. Darcy needed Elizabeth Bennett to point out his pride. And if you're sitting here today listening to this and thinking, you know, well, it's a sermon on pride, it doesn't apply to me, you know, I'm not proud, then would you consider for a moment that perhaps this message could have something to say to you? As you know, before the service, we always meet to pray and we listen to God. And somebody had been praying at home and and they got this sense of, actually, it takes courage. It takes courage to examine ourselves and to to ask ourselves questions about what's really going on in our lives. So be courageous today and ask God, are you speaking to me on this subject? So pride, that's the first thing. Pride is difficult to detect in ourselves. So what is pride? Now, I want you to imagine I had a, I don't have one with me, but imagine I had a spotlight. This, will, this probably works as good as a spotlight as it does a microphone at present. Um, so, but imagine I had a spotlight in my hand. Now, our lives are designed for one purpose, to shine a light on Jesus Our lives are meant to continually point to Jesus. And yet every morning we wake up and every morning we have a choice. We can either do what we're designed to do, shine that spotlight on Jesus, or we can turn it around and point it on ourselves. Because we are designed to worship God, to point to him in all that we do and all that we are. But instead, we spend most of the days walking around with this spotlight pointing on ourselves. And I think there are two ways in which we can do this. The first way is the most obvious way, and that's to to shine this spotlight on us and highlight all the good things about myself. You know, we we want to show other people uh, what we've become, how significant we are, that our lives mean something, and this is pride. It's drawing the world's attention to ourselves, our own accomplishments, our own personality, our, 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 our own character, rather than pointing people to Jesus. And this is a sort of overinflated sense of self-worth, like a too high a sense of self-worth. But some of you are sitting here going, oh, David, that, you know, I told you this sermon didn't apply to me. Because you know, that is the opposite of me. You don't know how rubbish I feel about myself. You know, I'm just rubbish. You know, I'm pitiful. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm rubbish. You know. and, and, and perhaps you spend a lot of your day going around, you know, I'm, I'm, you know I, I'm just not that person. But instead, actually, there's a second way in which we can be proudful. You know, we can shine this spotlight upon ourselves. And instead of saying, look how brilliant I am, we can go around and, and, and point out to people, guys, you know, look, look at me, look how awful I am, look how pitiful I am, look how lonely I am, look how low I am, look how depressed, I am. you know, so this is another way in which we are 
putting the spotlight on ourselves. And this is a too low a sense of self-worth. And these, you know, if you're suffering in this, then our heart goes out to you and we pray for you. But this is not how God designed you to be. God doesn't want you to shine the spotlight on our own heart because at the core, the issue is the same. Whether you shine the spotlight on yourself and saying, I am brilliant, or shine the spotlight on yourself and saying, I am rubbish, you are still drawing attention to yourself. And pride manifests itself in one of two ways, an overinflated sense of self or a too low a sense of self. But what we need is to get the right balance, a right sense of self. And to get this, we need to understand the gospel. You know, if a ship is to sail safely, it needs just the right balance within the water. It's called poise, where the word poise comes from. Yeah, it needs the right balance in the water. Because if that ship sits too high in the water, if it's too high, then it's prone to capsizing, it's dangerous. But if that ship sits too low in the water and the water is at its depth, then that too is too dangerous. And we need instead the right balance, not too high, not too low, but the right balance. And the same is true in our lives. You know, if our self-worth is too high, then this is dangerous. And if our self-worth is too low, then this is equally too dangerous. But in a nutshell, the gospel is this. First, you are absolutely more lost and desperate and sinful than you could ever dare believe. You cannot make it on your own. Your best efforts are filthy rags. And yet, second, you are more loved and more accepted and more welcomed as a child of God in Jesus Christ than you ever dared hope. You are both so low and yet so high in the gospel that this gives us balance. The gospel gives us a right sense of self, not too high, not too low. You see, so what is pride? It's choosing to shine a spotlight on ourselves rather than shine a spotlight on Jesus. And it is an attempt, in other words, to place ourselves at the center of the universe rather than God. Another way that we do this is our approach to this book. Now, to be honest, you know, if I was God, which I'm glad I'm not, but if I was God, you know, I'd probably write a few things a bit differently. I'd, I'd, I'd write a few different things. Maybe, you know, I don't know. I'd, I'd maybe make, like, punishments a bit more immediate rather than waiting for eternity, you know, if you're naughty, a quick zap or something. You know, I'd, I'd maybe do things a bit But in you know, honesty, actually, there's some things in here that I do really struggle with. You know, I do really struggle with it. But I'm, I'm reminded of an old American preacher by the name of J. Vernon McGee. And I'll never forget uh, what he said. He says this. and I'll, 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 I'll go on. I'll do his, his cheesy American voice. He says, you know, this is God's universe. And, oh, I can't do it. Okay. Uh, he says, you know, this is God's universe. And God does things his way. Now, you may have a better way but you don't have a universe. So, <laughs> so I find that absolutely true and insightful. You know, we don't have a universe. We are not God. And so when you open this book and you read things that you don't disagree with, 
You know, a humble heart will say, you know, you know, I'm probably wrong, and God's probably right. But the proud heart will say, you know, I think this, and so this is what God means. This is probably what God means. You know, there are a number of difficult verses and themes. There are a number of problematic ethical issues or lifestyle choices that, that I or you may struggle with within this book. But a humble heart doesn't try to change God's word. For instance, forgiveness. Forgiveness, well, you know, forgiveness is one of those things that everyone thinks is a good idea before they actually have to do it themselves. And, uh, and, and you might be sitting here thinking, well, actually, David, you know, I have been immensely damaged by this person. You know, really hurt. You've got no idea of the damage that they've done in my life. And, and I don't. I really don't. And there are some things that are deeply painful and leave lasting scars. And yet somehow... God says, forgive. Forgive. How many times should we forgive? Seven times, that's what Peter says. How many times should I forgive this person? And Jesus answered, not seven times, but 77 times. Or uh, a more light-hearted example. So, for instance, Ephesians is always a, a tricky one. It mentions about relationships, and we all get a bit, mm, husbands and wives don't want to go there, and things like that. Uh, um, so, Ephesians 5, verse 25, it says this, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave everything for her. And some of you husbands might be thinking, well, hold on a minute, David. You know, you don't know my wife. You know, <laughs> you know I don't think this applies in my case. In fact, I want to point out that this verse wasn't written yeah, when my wife was created. You know, my wife was created after this verse was written. But, you know, you know there's not a clause in the Bible that says, you know, 2,000 years has passed, therefore, you know, we, we can rewrite this. You know, there's not a line that we can cross when we can stop loving our wife, just as there's not a line that we can cross when God can stop loving us. And some of you may say, but, you know, David, you know, that's your interpretation. And in some cases, interpretation is difficult, and we need wisdom and context to, to interpret and understand what Scripture means. But actually, if we're honest, in the main, the passages that we struggle with in the Bible are fairly black and white. And the only way in which we arrive at a different interpretation is if we say in our hearts that we don't like what it says, and so it, it must mean something else. And let's be honest. Let's, let's be honest, it's not that we sit down with an open mind, with the sole objective of finding out what this really means. No, we've already arrived at a different conclusion, and, and we, 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 we reach the interpretations that we reach because we don't like what the clear and obvious meaning is. And so we tweak things. We tweak things. But this is pride. Again, it's about placing ourselves in the middle of the universe and thinking that we can do better than God at running the universe. And I'm not saying it's easy. 
It's not easy at all. The commands in Scripture are not easy to obey. But when I became a Christian, I said to myself, you know, if it's worth anything, if this Christianity is worth following at all, then it's worth everything. You know, I either believe this stuff or I don't. I'm either all in or all out because it doesn't really work. Me saying, well, I'll do the bits that I, I, I like because that's really, I'm not in, am I? You know, I can do the bits I like completely outside. You know, it's not easy. You know, they are not and they are costly. But these are the times in our lives when we understand who is really on the throne of our lives. And if you want to ask yourself a challenging question, think about this. Have you ever obeyed God's word when you disagreed with it? Have you ever done what the Bible said when you didn't disagree, when you didn't agree with it? You see, pride is shining the spotlight on ourselves. Pride is attempting to place ourselves at the center of the universe. But as, as J. Vernon McGee said, this is God's universe and God does it his way. Now you may have a better way, but you don't have a universe. Now, as we've said, pride is difficult to detect in ourselves, but we also need to recognize that pride is dangerously destructive. It's dangerously destructive. Verses 18 to 19, pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. Better to be lowly in spirit and among the oppressed than to share plunder with the proud. You know, there's a, there's a practical reason why pride is destructive and we want to avoid it. And that's because a proud person does not readily take advice. They think they know it all. But actually, wisdom is found in the counsel of others. But a proud person says, oh, I don't need advice, you know. And also, a proud person doesn't learn from their mistakes. They're not willing to hear criticisms from other people. You know, they're not willing to learn from, from, from their own mistakes, but also, pride distorts our perception of reality. You know, when we're proud, we see things wrong. You know, and if you think back to what we said at the beginning, wisdom is competency in the complexities of life, how things really happen, how things really are, and what to do about it. And if pride colors our perception of reality, then we're gonna make bad decisions. We're, we're not gonna make wise decisions. But there is one bigger reason why pride is dangerously destructive. And it's this, it works against the very character of God. You're gonna come into conflict with God. You see, God uh, is Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And they've existed together since all eternity past in perfect communion. And Christian thinkers have come up with this uh, snazzy word that you may or may not have heard before to describe the relationship of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You know, and they call it perichoresis. It describes this dance that has been going on for all eternity where each person of the Trinity gives glory to the other. This dance of love where each person centers on the other, giving love and life. And so at the heart of the universe, there's this other orientation. And the Father takes his spotlight 
And the Father shines it on the Son and the Spirit. And the Son takes his spotlight and he shines it on the Spirit and the Father. And the Spirit takes his spotlight and shines it on the Father and the Son. And so the dance of love goes on and on. And they're shining their spotlights on the other. And yet, if you're in the business of shining your spotlight on yourself, then ultimately... You're going against the fabric of the universe and you're on course for collision with God himself. So pride is dangerously destructive. It works against the very character of God who's at the center of the universe. And so as we come into land, how can you and I grow in humility? Today we're looking at humble hearts. How can you and I grow in humility of heart? And so to close... I thought I'd leave you with five short practical tips for cultivating a humble heart from a former Archbishop of Canterbury, Michael Ramsey. And these are his words. He says this, First, thank God often and always. Thank God carefully and wonderingly for his continued privileges and for every experience of his goodness. Thankfulness is a soil in which pride does not easily grow. Secondly, take care about your confession of sin. Be sure to criticize yourself in God's presence. That is your self-examination and put yourself under divine criticism. That is your confession. Thirdly, Be ready to accept humiliations. They can hurt terribly, but they can help you to be humble. They can be trivial humiliations, accept them. They can also be bigger humiliations. All of these can be used as chances to get a little nearer to our humble and crucified Lord. Fourthly, do not worry about status. There is one status that our Lord asks us to be concerned about. And that is the status of our proximity to him. And fifthly, use your sense of humor. Laugh. Laugh about things. Laugh about the absurdities of life. Laugh about yourself and about your own absurdity. We are all of us infinitesimally small and ludicrous creatures within God's universe. And so, friends, as infinitesimally small and ludicrous creatures within God's universe, let us stand to pray.